I grew up in deep South Texas. In the fall of my eighth grade year, Hurricane Beulah made a direct hit on the Rio Grande Valley. It would become the third most powerful, third largest hurricane in history to that point in time. And although it missed every major city, it just hit small towns and agricultural areas, it would cause the second highest property damage of any hurricane of its time until then. It would spawn 115 recorded tornadoes, the most of any storm in all of history. It was this perfect storm. It would make landfall with 136-mile-an-hour winds. It would leave rain as much as three feet of rainfall on soil previously deeply saturated by previous rains. It was a storm of storms. When it hit our town, immediately the power went out, and we were thrown in complete and utter darkness. You could not see the hand in front of your face. It was so dark. There was absolutely no light at all. Middle of the night, you can imagine this. It sounded like a freight train of wind and blowing rain. Complete, utter darkness. We lived in this very small house. We'd been there for some time. We thought we knew where the furniture was and the doorways were. We found ourselves stumbling in the dark and and finally found ourselves frozen, not moving. Because with every movement, we'd run into furniture or a wall or something until we found light. And for my town, we would be in darkness for a few days until power came back. And then my house would be in darkness for two full weeks because the power line to our house had been cut and and been broken. And throughout that time, we relied on two or three flashlights and a very few number of batteries. And because of the few batteries, we relied on a handful of candles. And I cannot tell you how we value that candlelight more than gold. It was more priceless than gold. And in that time, I had a great distaste for darkness, and I found a great love for light. To this day, one of my favorite pictures is one that's hanging on my office wall across from my desk I see every day. I want to show you a glimpse of it. It's this picture of a storm and darkness and a picture of a light that pierces the darkness. And it's not one of my favorite pictures because of my memories of Hurricane Beulah, It's one of my favorite pictures because I have learned that there is a much deeper darkness than any hurricane can ever form. And I've learned that there's a much more luminous light than any candle could ever give. And that's where we're going today. Let me bring up the house lights so no one freaks out if they have to get up and and step toward the back. By the way, you guys did really good. When lights went out, to your surprise, I expected about 50 cell phones all lit up. And I only saw about six, and I know you six were looking at Scripture when that happened. And so you guys did extremely well with that, unprepped. Maybe some of you were warned by the first service because there were only a few culprits in the first service, not many at all. But you guys did really good with that. We've been in, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. I'll do a quick catch-up for us. The, the southern kingdom of Judah had a coalition of enemies about to attack them, a powerful force that could destroy them. And, and the uh, southern kingdom of Judah had this choice to make. They had a couple of directions they could go. The God of the universe, the God who had created everything, the God who had fulfilled every promise throughout their nation's history had said to them, if you just trust me, then this powerful enemy will not touch a hair on your head. You'll be perfectly safe that they will make no headway to to cause damage to you if you'll just trust me. And so that was one of their options. The second option was this powerful military nation of Assyria, a bloodthirsty military nation of Assyria. They had these two choices, and they decided to reject God and decided to trust in the 
nation of Assyria. And in that one fatal decision, they would cast their nation into darkness that would largely run for 700 years. Now, 700 is just a number, but if you can think about how long we have been a nation, that's been 239 years, and they were cast into 720-something years of darkness. It's three times as long as our nation has existed because of one fatal choice. They decided not to trust God, instead to trust somebody else. They had this mistaken mindset that they could navigate life well without God. They overestimated their ability to do life well apart from God. They didn't understand that they could not see the future. They couldn't see what tomorrow would bring, and there would be so many unknown factors they could never calculate in. They could never see the future, and they didn't understand that, and they didn't understand that they couldn't recognize the evil that they now had invited in into their country in the nation of Assyria. And they fell into darkness. And there's this close parallel to us today. On our own, on our own, we can't see tomorrow. On our own, we cannot see what tomorrow will bring. We can make our best guesses, best assumptions. We can't see tomorrow. And on our own, we fail to recognize sin. We can take our best logic, take our best, judge our best feelings and emotions about something, and we simply fail to recognize sin. As a church, if you've been around the last few months, we spent the entire fall in this series we called House of Lies. And the whole purpose of the series, the whole teaching was that, that, that we don't have the clarity to even understand truth from lie, understand goodness from sin. And so we talked about how we don't even know how to do relationships well apart from God showing us because we won't recognize the sin in how we do relationships apart from him. We don't even know how to handle money apart from him without him showing us. We don't know how to do work apart from him showing us or to do marriage or to do family apart from him. Apart from him, we, we can't see tomorrow, and we fail to recognize sin. And so we spent a, a long period of time on that, the entire fall on that. Apart from him, we find ourselves like the nation of Judah, stumbling in the darkness. This is what, what it says. Isaiah 8, verse 20. This is what happened to them. It says, look into God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. In other words, if you don't trust what he says, follow what he says, you're completely in the dark. They'll go from one place to another, weary and hungry. Because they're hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They'll look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there'll be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They'll be thrown out into the darkness. Apart from God, there's simply darkness. But it goes on, verse 1 of chapter 9, nevertheless... That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled, but there'll be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. It was the prophecy that the Messiah would come. The Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, would come, and he would first come to this very region of Zebulon and Naphtali. We talked last week about how it was just utter grace. They did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. It was just utter grace that God did this. It's just simply utter grace. And it says that Jesus, the Messiah who's coming, is the light of the world, is the light of the world. And while, while we don't know the future, he does know the future, 
And while we fail to recognize sin, he is the one completely without sin. He is the light that pierces the darkness. And he's come unto us, not just Judah 2,000 years ago. He's come to us today. John chapter 8, verse 12, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is teaching. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He begins by saying, I am. And by the way, that phrase goes way back to the days of Moses. God introduces himself to Moses through this burning bush, and there's this conversation that unfolds and continues on. And at one point, Moses says, I need to know your name because you've told me to go back to my people and tell them you've spoken to me, and I need to know what your name is. And God says, my name is I am. And in this setting, Jesus uses the very same word. He says, I am, and they all recognized he was saying, I'm not just another man, I'm God. I am God the Son. I am that Messiah prophesied by Isaiah 700 years ago. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, for you'll have the light that leads to life. He says, if you follow me, what what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do you know to do that? How does one successfully follow him? Because living in the light only comes by following him. How do we do that? There are three key things I will give you. And if you've been around FCC, they won't be new to you. If you've been around church for some time, they won't be new to you. But here's the question. The question is not, do you know them? The question is, are you living them? The light of life will come as we live these. The first is this. We follow him um, by engaging in Scripture. We follow him by engaging in Scripture. In John 8, 31 It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, and Jesus' word is the whole of the Bible, Old Testament, New. If you abide in my word, the word means if you live in my word, if you camp out in it. The image is if it's, if it's attached to you and you're, you're reading and pondering and meditating and engaging and obeying. In fact, some very accurate translations take that word that is translated abide here and they translate obey because the two are so close to the same. See, if, if, you, if you live in my word, the, the, image, the image is at the very minimum this. It would be virtually every day having some time that you open up this book and you read, you prayerfully in God's presence, read it and try to understand it and try to follow it. At the very minimum, to abide in his word. He said, you're really my disciples if you abide in my word, to live in. The very minimum is on most all days to have some time, you would pick this up, I would pick this up. And in his presence, read it and say, show me, illuminate my thoughts, my mind, my heart, my life. Show me how to walk. Show me where to walk. At the very minimum, it's that. David Platt, who is a great pastor and a great author, says this. It is impossible to follow Jesus, yet disregard, discredit, and disbelieve his word. It is impossible to follow him, yet disregard. In other words, just don't pay that much attention to it. Discredit and disbelieve his word. It it begins here with this written word. The second key of being able to to follow him is have this consistent life of prayer. 
God gives us in Scripture, gives us uh, such foundational truths. They are rock solid. They are anchors. But he doesn't give us all of the answers to all the details of our individual lives. For example, if you are a parent, he teaches us in Scripture that we are to discipline our children. That's clear, unquestionable. The question is, if you have a two-year-old and your two-year-old has behaved a certain way, the question now is, okay, God, now now what does that look like for my two-year-old in this circumstance? Not someone else's two-year-old, not another circumstance. How do I discipline my two-year-old in love in this circumstance? And when my two-year-old is 12 and has done something disobedient, how do I discipline my 12-year-old in this time, this day, this circumstance? And that only comes through prayer. It only comes by saying, God, I, I get it. My child has done something wrong, and I'm to discipline and love. But what does that look like here? It only comes through this connection of prayer. The details. You're considering a different career path, a different job. How do you know if that job, that career path, is the one God has for you? I've only known one person my whole life who Scripture actually told him what job to go do. Only one person. Prayer. Asking him this conversational life with God. Scripture and prayer. And then finally, Christian community. The way God so often chooses to speak and to to, uh, bring Scripture to light is through Christian community. I'll give you an example of that. I was having breakfast with a good friend of mine one day this past week. Both of us had studied John 13 through the week. We've been praying about John 13 during the week. It's this passage where where Jesus is with his disciples, and they understand he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. They get that. They understand he made the entire universe. They understand that he made them. He is the Lord of all. And stunningly in this setting, he does the job that only the lowest slave would do. He takes this basin of water and this towel, and he begins to wash their stinking feet, and it stuns them. And when he's done, he says, now I have done this. I who am Lord have done this. Now you are to do this for one another. And so my friend and I are sitting at this table, early morning breakfast, and we begin to talk together. What does that really look like in our workplaces? You work in this secular workplace. What does that really look like? How do you wash people's feet in your workplace? And then we talked about my workplace. I work in the church. What does that really look like? How does that get fleshed out? There's this clear command of God, wash people's feet, serve them at that level. What does it look like? And then both of us are husbands. And we have, I start to say we have different wives, and you'd be glad to know that, I'm sure. But we have, we have wives who are very different is a better way of saying it, I think. Wives that are just very different. And so we began to talk about with his wife made by God as she is, in this season of life, what does it look like for him to wash her feet? And then we talked about my wife in the season of life. What does it look like for me to wash my wife's feet? And then we both are fathers. And he has two children that are still fairly young. And I have two that have been grown up for some time. We began to talk. What does it look like to wash the feet of, of his little one and his near teenager? What does it look like to wash the feet of my grown sons and daughter-in-law now? What does it look like? And it's in Christian community. It's, it's all based on Scripture, like living, living in Scripture. This life of conversation with God, help me, help me understand and live the details in this uh, life of Christian community. And then it means to follow, this is the way we often word here, follow carte blanche. Follow carte blanche. The literal translation of that is, is white paper, but it means to, to give someone a blank check. You know what that's like, right? You give someone a blank check and you sign it and you say, you fill in the amount. 
Yeah, you call the shot, whatever you want. You, this is a blank check. And it means to Jesus to say, my life is a blank check for you. You fill in what you want me to do and say and feel and think. The way Peter said it one day, when Jesus asked him to do something that seemed ludicrous to Peter, Peter said, because you say so, I will. He will say things that won't make sense, but they're clear. Follow carte blanche, and then finally, follow closely. Follow closely. Back in the dark ages, before there were any cell phones, Marie and I found ourselves a few times in in a large city, strange city, for whatever reason, having two cars. We had to get to a certain site with both cars, and she would be following me. And I found myself, each of those times, I found myself saying, follow me closely. Follow really closely. Give you some background to this. Marie and I are very different drivers. I, I do my best to obey all the laws because I love God. And I'm, I honestly try to do my best, and I try to be safe, but I want to get someplace. I want to get there. My wife is a very laid-back driver. She wants to get there, but when doesn't matter to her. And so if she's going by down the freeway, and I'm sure many of you have actually done this to her, but she'll leave this big amount of space between her and the next car. And so, so a car cut in and fill the space. And then so she backs up and leaves more space, and someone cuts in again. You've done that to her, I know, because that's the way she drives on the freeway. And so we were driving one time on a freeway in the city, and I'm looking back, and there's this big space, and sure enough, it's filled in. So she backs up, it's filled in, backs up, filled in. I can't even see her anymore. There are no cell phones. Strange city. How do you even find each other? Or there's this big gap form. We get off the freeway, and then I hit a green light. She hits a red light. And so I found myself in those circumstances. I would, you know, look me in the eye, stay close. Stay close or you're going to lose me. And Jesus would say to us, stay so close. In his time, there was a saying. If you were a disciple of the rabbi, the teacher, the saying was, then you should be covered in the dust of the rabbi. They lived in a setting without any sidewalks or pavement and a very dusty, dusty region of the world. And and the saying meant that if you're following this rabbi, this teacher, then at the end of the day, you should be covered in the dust that his feet stirred up. You should be so close that the particles of dust have covered you by the end of the day. Jesus would say to us, follow me, carte blanche, and stay close. Follow me close. Follow me closely. Jesus says, if you follow me, If you follow me, you won't have to walk in the dark because you will have the light that leads to life. I want to talk about what that life looks like. We don't have time, if we had all day, to talk about the fullness of that life, but I want to talk about some key aspects of it. It is a life, it is a life where you are sure footed. When you're following Jesus, when you're walking in his light, you are sure footed. In 2 Samuel 22, Verses 29, 31, and 34 says this. It says, O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He's saying, because, Lord, because you're lighting up the pathway for me, you're telling me where to step, I am stepping with such sure-footedness in it. Some of you recognize the name, a few of you, Eric Little, 
If you do, maybe because of the movie Chariots of Fire that won Best Picture Academy Award back in 1982, the story of Eric Little was he was he was one of the best short sprinters on the planet. 1924 Paris Olympics, one of the one of the key favorites to win the 100 meter dash. It would give him this. He was this follower of Jesus. It would give him this platform to talk about Jesus, and and he was one of two or three with the best chance of winning. He would find out that one of the the heats, which would lead to a final, will be run on a Sunday. And in scripture and in prayer, he felt God say to him, not to everyone else, but to him, not to compete on a Sunday. And so he told Great Britain he wouldn't compete on that day. They tried to make changes. They tried to move the heat. They couldn't do it. And so he simply had to withdraw from the 100-meter race for the Olympics. And, And his entire shot at this platform for Jesus was lost. But Great Britain was short on 400-meter sprinters, and it was his third best event. He hardly ever ran it, and they put him in the 400-meter race, and he would end up winning the gold medal Olympic record time in the 400-meter race, become perhaps the most famous athlete of the entire Olympics, and have this huge, this bigger, bigger platform from which to talk about Jesus. And then 60 years later, Someone comes behind and makes a story of his life called Chariots of Fire. Sixty years later, it's a Sunday night. I'm watching Chariots of Fire. I had seen it two years before. God had been intersecting my life for a long time in those two years between. It's a Sunday night. I'm watching Chariots of Fire. And I'm recognizing this man is so sure-footed in how he lives. So sure-footed because he follows Jesus Sunday night. Wednesday night, I gave my life to Christ. I mean, this man simply, he followed Jesus, and he could, he could put his foot down with great surety, great certainty, with great stability, because he knew Jesus was lighting the path. He put his feet down where Jesus said to put them down. This life, following Jesus in his light, is a life of sure-footedness. It is a life of fearlessness. It is a life that is fearless. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? Marie and I had dinner with a couple earlier this week, and we were catching up with them about life, and we were asking uh, the husband about life and work, and he said work has gotten so much more interesting. There's energy, and the entire day has been so energized. He said it's interesting he said, there have been so many opportunities that I've had to begin to talk about Jesus with people. And he began to describe them. And sure enough, in his department at work and in other departments at work, and he had set up uh, some weekly meetings with someone who was far from God, from another religious background, to talk about Jesus and the life of Jesus. And then uh, there are others that he's, he's bought books for to give them and start conversations. In his bus ride, in the commute ride, there have been people on the bus now and, and he said, I've had, it's like several times a day. And then he said, I realized at each step forward, I could be utterly rejected. But he said, I don't care. I'm, I'm not afraid of that. And at some level with him doing this in his corporation, the rejection could be pretty hard and heavy. And he said, but there's, there's absolutely no fear in doing it. Not that he's doing it insensitively. He's doing it with great sensitivity. 
But he said, I know it. at every single turn there could be rejection, and, and I, I'm not afraid of that. And then he said, very interestingly, in this last run, this last season, all of these people, not a single one has, has rejected him and Jesus. Every single one has said, tell me more. If we walk in the light of Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we will live a life that is fearless. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Finally, this life is one that is hope-filled. In Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 22, it says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Saying Jesus has all power. He's using his power for the church. In other words, using his power for all who choose to follow him. And so Paul is writing saying, I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so you'll have this confident hope. There should be this, this stunning hope of life and what's ahead. Just over a year ago, 13 months ago, we launched a new ministry called Infusion. It's a ministry that launches, it begins with a marriage retreat weekend. And the retreat is named because the whole purpose, the whole goal is that married couples will come and they will be infused with hope for their marriages. And the whole theme of the weekend, and, and it gets fleshed out in many very practical ways, but the whole theme of the weekend is, is a marriage only has a chance to thrive if it's not just two people giving their best in the dark, but if it's two people, like with the light of the universe, Jesus at the center of this marriage. And then as the weekend unfolds, that gets fleshed out and illustrated in so many different ways. And now we've had 60 couples that have gone through it. And, and the transformation of marriages is so far beyond anything we dreamed about. I was listening to one couple who had attended about six months before. And they're a great couple. I have such respect for them. I always have a great couple. Some of you would know them. And six months after the infusion weekend, they were saying, you know, there was one big, big detriment in our marriage. We, we argued all the time. And we didn't argue well all the time. And they said, on that weekend, we, we trusted if somehow we put Jesus in the middle of our marriage and let him shine light on it, and let him direct us, and we followed his direction of marriage, that there would be hope. And they said, in six months, our marriage has radically, radically changed. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will no longer have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And it is a life that is sure-footed and fearless and hope-filled. Make no mistake about this. There is no light apart from God. There simply is no light apart from God. God illustrates that in Scripture in many ways. This is one of my favorite ways. The very opening verses of Scripture and the very closing verses of Scripture are these. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness 
covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated light from the darkness. Apart from God, there was no light. There was no light until God created it. You span across all the pages of Scripture, the very last page, the very last chapter of all of Scripture. At this point in time, God's telling what it will be like when he draws the curtain on this old, weary planet. And when he remakes this as a new earth and he remakes a new heaven, and all that follow Jesus live on that new earth and that new heaven. This is what he says. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. There is no light apart from God. Just in case you're sitting there thinking, I'm the exception. I can navigate life well apart from God. There is no light apart from God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, and this is what Christmas is all about. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Many of you in this room, I do not know. But unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. And it's just grace. Nothing you or I could ever do to earn it or deserve it. It's just grace. And it is this offer a very real, tangible offer of living a life filled with light. What response makes sense to that? The first thing is just worship him. Just worship him. Deep, deep reverence. Oh, my God. Fill with adoration. Just fill with this adoration of him and fill with devotion Because you say so, because you say so, I will. Adequate response is just utter worship of God. And appropriate response is follow him. Follow him. For unto us, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Father in heaven, may this truth, may it rattle around in our brains. May it sink into our hearts, Father. May we not be able to escape this. If we haven't fully grasped it, may it just be be, um, stuck in our thought process until we can process it and pray about it and study it and ask others about it. May May you... Put this into the very fiber of our thoughts and hearts and feelings that that there is a life. There is a life we can have following Jesus, following the one who knows the future, who knows tomorrow, who knows every detail, following the one who knows no sin, the one who recognizes all sin, following him. There is this real potential of living a life in the light. And experiencing a life that is so sure-footed and so fearless and so hope-filled and so much more. Father, may we embrace that life. May we embrace that life and worship you and your son and follow your son well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.